Hello, and welcome to the Modern Retail Rundown. I'm your host, senior reporter, Gabby Barco, and I'm here with Modern Retail's editor-in-chief, Kale Guthrie-Weissman. Hello, Kale. Hey, Gabby. How's it going? I'm great. I'm really excited about this new podcast that we will be uh, hosting together on a weekly basis for all of our listeners. Me too. It's going to be a fun new project. Um, Yeah, I'm excited to talk. We will give you a little bit of an idea of what you should be expecting on Saturdays. Uh, This is an exciting new podcast from Modern Retail, where we'll be giving you, you guessed it, a rundown of the most interesting (laughs) headlines in the retail world that we found this past week. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about, you guessed it, Amazon, but more specifically, their renewed grocery ambitions. Then we'll be breaking down Bed Bath & Beyond, avoiding bankruptcy. And finally, we'll be looking into some potential M&A activity in the D2C space with a ways possible sale. So let's start off with Amazon. Kale, let's break down maybe Amazon's history with grocery, their obsession with it, everything grocery, especially during COVID. I think they got that lifeline from it. But we're now being told that they're going to be trying again after closing uh, a lot of stores last year. Yeah, and also closing some stores this year. It's a there's a lot of mixed messages coming from Amazon right now, which I find super interesting because uh, Amazon Amazon has been focusing on grocery for a while now. It's been focusing saying it's focusing on brick and mortar retail, physical retail. It's had a bunch of different attempts in this space, so I can like name like half nearly half a dozen different attempts of how they're trying to become a physical store. There's Amazon Fresh, of course. They have fresh grocery stores. I don't know if you remember the four-star stores. Those were a weird attempt to, like, showcase the best products that Amazon had. And um, there's the new Style stores, which I think Mm -hmm. launched earlier, maybe earlier this year or last year. I can't remember. Whole Foods, of course. Um, And it's we're in a really interesting reversal right now because um, for a while, it was seen that the Whole Foods acquisition was, like, kind of a failure in the sense that Whole Foods was existing and Amazon was existing, but you didn't see how the two really Mm -hmm. came together. But now the conversation is much more that Whole Foods is really one of the only truly successful grocery ambitions that Mm -hmm. Amazon has. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We should start out with that because that was 2017. So we're going into six years in. um, And that was obviously a really big deal, the acquisition. But it actually took a couple of years before you really saw, um, you know, true Amazon presence at Whole Foods. Um, now, you know, of course, there's a lot of perks to being an Amazon Prime uh, member at Whole Foods. But for the most part, you still kind of have to, like, for example, most recently, they took away free uh, same-day delivery for, um, you know, local Whole Foods orders, um, or I think it costs something like $10. So there is, like you said, I feel like that all fits within the theme of, okay, do you want to do grocery? Do you not want to do grocery? And now, you know, uh, Andy Jesse this week said that, no, we are going to do brick and mortar. So I'm a little bit lost. What about you? Yeah. And it's really weird because at the earnings a couple of weeks ago, you know, Amazon's going through massive layoffs. I want to say, I think it's over 18,000 people. And a lot of those included people from the grocery team. And then with the recent earnings, Jassy said uh, that Amazon is closing a bunch of its underperforming fresh stores. Mm -hmm. And what Jassy said, the story that we're citing is from uh, a pretty long, long uh, interview he did with the Financial Times. And he said something like, 
they're going to figure out, Amazon's going to figure out what the right concept for a grocery store is in 2023, and then we're going to grow that. But clearly, he's admitting that what they've been doing right now has has not been working, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we can take a uh, look at um, Fresh, which I think is really the only true Amazon grocery store that, you know, slightly resembles Whole Foods, but it's not. It's got, you know, very different merchandise. Um, They were sort of, you know, amidst a pretty rapid uh, expansion of those. They were opening a lot of pilot stores, uh, especially on the West Coast. That's also one of the slew of stores that are now seeing a slowdown or just an overall uh, halt in openings. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on, I mean, I guess is the new brick and mortar, this is all speculation, of course, is the new brick and mortar concept going to look anything like that? If not, then what? So uh, there, there's a lot of things to tease out from there. And I, I, for the Amazon briefing a couple of weeks ago, I wrote about trying to untangle what's going on. And the Fresh stores and ghost stores, but Fresh stores also were a really good example of Amazon trying to incorporate its like new in-store technology. There, mm-hmm. Some of them had smart carts. Um, so a lot of them had, uh, what's it called? their palm technology so that you could walk in and like put add things to it and then not pay. Um it, it was pretty much a way for Amazon to try and reinvent the store. Um but when I was reporting this article, uh an analyst I spoke to said something really interesting, which is that a lot of the advances that Amazon's current store technologies have are sort of fun and interesting, but they don't make them must go to stores. Like if there is a fresh store that is 10 miles away from you and a Kroger that is five miles away from you, you're likely going to still go to the Kroger because there's really no reason to yeah. co- to go that farther unless you want to like see a, a, a cool smart sign. I don't know. And so it seems that th- what Amazon was really good at for the last, you know, 20 some odd years was that it was good at making something that shoppers needed and wanted and became a must-have. And it's yet to figure out what exactly that would look like in the physical store. And instead is presenting new technology that's kind of novel that would have interesting advertising potentials. So like Amazon could hook up its DSP into its physical stores and then brands could advertise against people who are walking through stores and they know who they are because of the tracking technology. But that's not good on the consumer's front. Like, like a consumer's not asking to be advertised to when they're walking through a store. So it seems like they've yet to figure out exactly what the format is to make it into a truly blockbuster shopping experience similar to what Amazon.com used to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know for sure. Um, so with that said, um, I think the, you know, sort of, flopping on the e-commerce only stores or the walk just walk out whatever you want to call them um seems to be on theme with other retailers maybe stepping back or holding off on doing them I think especially with I think it's worth mentioning that with groceries in general slowing down post covid and inflation everything people are a lot more cognizant of what they're shopping for uh Walmart is another you know it's I think probably Amazon's biggest competitor, especially in grocery, they really do it a lot better. Um, they have way more fulfillment and they're closer to a lot of Americans. But even they're kind of giving up on the uh, cashierless or walking out e-commerce stores. Yeah, they had the, I think it was earlier this week that they announced two e-commerce only stores, which were pretty much just for online fulfillment. And they were, it was a small test. I think that it was only two in like mm-hmm. Michigan, I want to say maybe Arkansas. I apologize if I'm getting that incorrectly, but um pretty much uh th- they're saying we're not going we're we're closing those stores down and i think that's really interesting because a lot of this and also the advances that we've seen in fresh were as you said 
pandemic-induced. They were because consumption changes and shopping changes happened and people thought that e-commerce or at least some digitally-enabled shopping patterns were going to be here in the long term. Mm -hmm. And it's clear that that might not be the case. Like, more traditional shopping is here. And, you know, Walmart seems to be admitting that. And Amazon, when it the fact that it's going back to the drawing board with its fresh stores is also pretty much admitting that, you know? Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's worth noting. Also, it's uh, Wisconsin. So get ready for your mentions to get swarmed by that. <laughs> oh, I apologize. Thank <laughs> no, you. It's fine. I need a fact check at all times. For sure. Uh, we're, always, we're always there to hold you accountable. Um, But with that, I guess just to wrap it all up in a, you know, in a nice bow, do you think Amazon has the maybe bandwidth that it thought originally it had a couple of years ago to really focus on grocery? Because it always kind of seems like it's flailing a little bit compared to its other businesses. Well, I think what's really interesting is that Amazon for years seemed like it was flailing, like in the early years, and Fair. it had a, a, a corporate ethos that was, we're going to reinvest in the company until we've really figured it out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for, I remember 10 years ago or whatever, that was the whole thing is that Amazon stock wasn't doing amazingly. And, you know, it, sales were growing, but it was also spending so much on making the system work. Mm -hmm. And now Amazon's in this really weird place where it's saying that it's, you know, it's going to continue experimenting, but it's also cost cutting. It's also, it does not have the same like company way of doing things where it's going to experiment at all costs. And so I I don't know. It seems like under Jassy, it's very different than Bezos because they're much more cognizant of the bottom line and trying to make it profitable. And I don't think a company like Amazon will be able to figure out something so scaled profitably so quickly without spending an insane amount of money. And it doesn't seem like Amazon is willing to make that financial risk right now, though maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think instead of just opening traditional grocery stores that people want to go and shop in. A lot of it has been, like you said, experimentation and testing. I mean, maybe it's safe to say that we might not see as many, you know, drone delivery pilot programs as much as we did a few years ago, um, because it just maybe is not going anywhere. So with that said, of course, you know, Kale, we could talk about Amazon all day, but we do need to move on. <laughs> Next up, we'll be Talking about the Bed Bath and Beyond avoiding bankruptcy the very last minute. Um, so this is the moment we've all been waiting for. You know, there's a lot of speculation about <laughs> all of the Bed Bath and Beyond uh, debacles, the fact that it was really struggling to pay its bills. But um, at the very last minute, it got a lifeline from Hudson Bay, which offered, um, I think, to uh, a pretty substantial loan. Uh, and then there's a reasoning by Wall Street Journal into why the brand is, you know, too big and really deserves saving. Kale, do you want to give us a little breakdown on it? Sure. I, I thought this was really interesting. So I guess the story is that Hudson Bay um, agreed to buy the company, um, but for, you know, a much lower price than 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 was on the market, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's why you would do it. Uh, they, it needed to be an attractive investment, I think is what they said. But then they wrote, um, the, you know, Hudson Bay's thinking, Bed Bath & Beyond was a storied brand. If it somehow could turn around its fortunes, an investment at these levels would lead to big gains. But if the company's prospects turned bleaker, the Hudson Bay team knew there was a good chance they could dump the retailer's shares without losing too much money, thanks to the higher investor interest in the stock. Essentially, it was a win-win for a company like Hudson Bay. If they were able to do it for cheap, uh, and then, you know, resurrect the brand, they're going to get a huge return on investment. But also, probably someone will, you know, 
if they, if they get it below the stock, at the end of the day, they'd probably be able to recoup their money some other way. Um, and it's interesting because th- I think what 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 really stood out to me was that the fact that Hudson Bay was admitting that Bed Bath and Beyond is a storied brand, which is true. It's kind of an old brand. It's been around for a while, and as much as it is ubiquitous, it seems like all of the attempts to reinvigorate the brand and return around the business haven't worked as yet. So I'd be, I'm really fascinated to know what Hudson Bay sees as the future for a company like Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah, and with that, we should maybe give some context into what brought Bed Bath & Beyond to this point. We've done a lot of coverage of it over the past couple of years that um, I think at first was a little bit obfuscated, you know, during the pandemic, you know, what was going on behind the scenes, because they had all these splashy rollouts, uh, you know, new executives uh, going really uh, doubling down on private labels. I think they had something like seven uh, brands rolling out within a few months. Uh, But, you know, a year or two later, hasn't really paid off, obviously, you know, just given what we're seeing. Um, So with that, I mean, what is it going to take to turn Bed Bath & Beyond into, I don't know, I mean, is there even a a comp that we could compare it to, right, in this space? I mean, not really. The only thing that, like, jumped out to me is, and this was different because they did go bankrupt, but Pier 1, you know, was another quote-unquote storied brand that was beloved in the 90s um, that went bankrupt. And now the vision that the, the people who bought it was to make it essentially an e-commerce only shell of what it once was. Um, and so I don't I don't think that that's what Hudson Bay thinks is going to happen to Bed Bath & Beyond. I, of course, I don't know. But what, you know, the fact that the entire business proposition for Bed Bath & Beyond is a lot of stores and a lot of merchandise and also like their couponing is really like pretty much markdowns. And so how do you change that to make it into a profitable business that taps into something that is sustainable is, is what's what I'm trying to think about, you know? Yeah. And maybe we could talk a little bit about the offerings and why um, there's for maybe each category, because, you know, it's Bed Bath and the Beyond. So each category has really <laughs> been taken over by um, a different, you know, retailer that's really been able to corner um, or, you know, modernize the categories. Um, so obviously we could talk about Amazon, Target, Walmart taking away a lot of those shares. But where else do people really go for, you know, shades or curtains or sheets at this point? That's, you know, not just your local Bed Bath & Beyond, which I feel like was maybe the case anecdotally even 10 years ago. Yeah, and I think that, you know, a lot of digital brands probably ate their market share in various ways. You know, the rise of a company like Brooklinen certainly, you know, I don't think Brooklinen itself, but there are a dozen different home, you know, home furnishings companies what a parachute, et cetera, that I'm sure as taken as a whole have eaten into the value proposition that Bed Bath & Beyond once had. Right. And, you know, aside from maybe Casper, I think, has some sort of store-within-store concept, um, Bed Bath hasn't really uh, been too aggressive about, you know, going after uh, onboarding or bringing on a lot of these hip young brands the way Target or even Walmart have done? Do you think that maybe is a factor or is that just kind of a drop in the bucket? I mean, it could be. I think assortment is definitely something. I also just wonder if it's about them figuring out where they need to have stores and what the store layouts should be because Bed Bath & Beyond used to be, it is a huge store Mm -hmm. and that's a lot of money in terms of real estate and that means a lot of merchandise. And so if I, I imagine that 
you know, there was a lot of reporting that they were unable to pay a lot of their suppliers, and their suppliers are brands that provide them with merchandise. So I imagine the big turnaround is whittling down what what it is that they actually are selling that actually sells, and then figuring out the best way to showcase that in a store format. Um, and then ideally figuring out some sort of e-commerce strategy that puts it on par with other newer competitors. But that would be hard as well. So it's a it's a it's a behemoth task and difficult for any, you know, any executive to do. Yeah. And speaking of executives, it does seem like uh, they are going back to the drawing board with a new CEO, uh, Sue Gove, uh, who is coming in from sales, I believe, uh, which also went through a bankruptcy and seems to be doing okay. I think they sort of reinvented themselves for the modern jewelry shopper. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on, you know, just this undertaking, I guess, for a new CEO? I mean, it's, Definitely something that she knows about. And so probably someone who has been through a bankruptcy before. I think she was also a board member of Tailored Brands, which is another company that has had a lot of financial difficulties, to say the least. And so she definitely probably think has the right tool set to think critically and be able to cut, you know, very liberally what needs to be cut. But also that doesn't just my opinion, that doesn't sound like a fun job. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you're coming in and hacking a company and trying to make it at least a semblance of what it once was. But if anyone could do it, it's someone with, with her background. Absolutely. So I think that's all we have on Bed Bath & Beyond. We will be watching this space to see what they're up to in the next couple of months. Uh, and of course, checking in on our beloved location locally to see what they're yes. <laughs> up to. That is a redesigned store. So I'm always curious about how it's actually doing. This is New York, by the way. To sort of transition a little bit, I would love to talk about a topic that we discuss a lot here at Modern Retail. Um, uh, it's very much within our coverage wheelhouse, which is uh, the DTC exit strategy or maybe lack of it for some Lack case. thereof. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Kel, I think with, I mean, this isn't, you know, specifically D2C, but like the digitally native uh, venture-backed brands. Um, maybe this is just, uh, again, anecdotal evidence, but doesn't it feel like most of it has been, um, you know, in like the wellness or the health space as opposed to the, you know, maybe fashion or beauty in the, at least the last few months? Um, and we'll get into that when we talk about Away, which is the luggage D2C brand uh, that's about eight years old, I believe now, eight, nine, um, that's seeking a buyer. Allegedly. Uh, Allegedly. Bloomberg came out with the article. It was a, a short one that was just saying they may be seeking a buyer. Um, I think Away is a definitely an interesting case because it was a DTC beloved, like one of the early entrants or, you know, Away, Casper, Peloton. Those were all the, the brands that like really caught people's eyes. Um, and I think its last fundraise in 2019, it was valued at over a billion dollars, which is wild. Um, and now, uh, and it was said two years ago that it was going to try and go public, um, mm -hmm. which makes sense because when you have um, when you have a company of that size, uh, it's probably you know that that's one of the few exits that you have. Um, but clearly, that didn't happen. Away is still private; it's not on the public stock, you know, on public exchanges. It's probably for the best because most DTC companies, and we'll probably talk about this in a few minutes, have not had a good time as public companies. But that being said, uh, Away is now seeking a buyer, um, mm -hmm. according to Bloomberg. And it's, I don't know, uh, it makes me wonder, is that for for company, were these companies kind of screwed over from the beginning? They were just so highly valued, given so much money. 
um, and that they were forced to grow too big and go beyond what maybe their potential was. And now they're sort of stuck with, you know, trying to find some exit. And for a company like Away, that might be really difficult. If you're valued at over a billion billion dollars, who's going to buy you? And like, what will that look like? Mm -hmm. And again, because they're privately uh, owned right now, we don't really have much insight into what the last couple of years have looked like uh, financially, I guess. But um, with Away specifically, I think we do have to get into, um, I mean, just being a luggage brand to begin with was uh, really hard. I, I do remember them having layoffs and having to scale back a lot of operations at the onset of COVID. Um, not sure if they've ever recovered from that. Um, I mean, they're still around, but it's hard to tell how, you know, how profitable or even if it's profitable at this point. Exactly. And it's like travel is coming back. And so it's a good time to be in that space. But when when all of that was happening, all that scaling back, OA tried to rebrand itself as, you know, a lifestyle brand, mm-hmm. which every DDC brand says, and it essentially means nothing. Um, but it meant that, you know, they were going to not just sell um, suitcases, but other items that, that might hopefully still be interesting to even non-traveling shoppers. But... Uh, it does show that if you are in a category, and especially a category that uh, has a lot of, you know, has a lot of peaks and troughs, it's difficult to become, you know, a multi-billion-dollar huge company. And I think Casper is a great corollary to this mm-hmm. because, like, Casper, you know, was a mattress brand, but it was said that it was a sleep brand in the business of sleep, and you know, it went public, it raised so much money, and now it's private again because. It was unable to reach its potential. And it seems like it was that its ambitions got far too far rather than just like staying within its wheelhouse and saying, this is what we're doing and we don't need to get so huge. And uh I, you know, we do you're you're totally right that we don't know with a way exactly what things look like, but it seems like it's a you know, given its last valuation, it's sort of in a difficult situation. Yeah. Uh Another thing, maybe the problem with the whole rebranding as a lifestyle brand thing is that it does sometimes, I mean, just having spoken to analysts, uh, send renewed mixed messages about what this brand is. I mean, I think a lot of people were like, it's a charging suitcase that I could take to the airport and charge my phone and it it looks nice and the pink one is cute. But um, if you're trying (laughs) to say, but then, you know, when you're starting to sell uh, loungewear for flying, um, that could start to maybe dilute a little bit what your, you know, your strengths, the strengths are for the brand, what like design-wise and everything. So uh, with that said, do you think maybe if you are to be potentially bought out by, let's say like a, you know, heritage suitcase brand, what is, what does that look like in their portfolio? And I think that's worth noting a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like would they keep the entire lifestyle brand where they just cut it all out and make it a suitcase brand. It's also good to note that like there was a recent uh acquisition of uh similar which is that LVMH bought Remoa which away is often con- you know compared with Remoa as like you know a lux- that's the- that's a luxury suitcase owner. And so it you know what you need to think about away in terms of how it would fit into a company's portfolio. Um and I in terms of at least you know the portfolio brands out there I I don't know who exactly it it would fit with the entire company as it is right now, though we we have no idea. You know, it could you know it could work. You know, you never know. Yeah, and again, this is I want to stress that this is just speculation based on an alleged uh, 
you know, a little bit of a hint that they put out. I think this is kind of a popular tactic by some executives who just say a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we're looking to sell um, to kind of maybe some generate some interest. Um, but you're right. With that said, uh, will it be a conglomerate? Will it be um, just another brand that wants to have, you know, a sort of hipper, younger sister brand? Uh, that's hard to say. And yeah, I'm trying to rack up my brain on who that is. Or will it be a PE firm? I don't Mm. know. I guess the real question is at what price will it sell at? Like it is, I am, I imagine that if it does sell, it will be for at a lower, it will be Mm -hmm. at a lower valuation than its latest one. But if it goes over, that would be great. But it's just, it's, you know, it, it was worth a lot of money and the world has changed a great deal since then. Yeah, uh, I feel like this is maybe a good time to zoom out a little bit and take this opportunity to talk about uh, M&A activity in, you know, the D2C. I I always do D2C in quotes because what is a D2C company anymore? (laughs) Um, But, you know, just given that a lot of them saw a lot of growth through e-commerce during COVID and are coming out of it and trying to figure out, you know, how do they sustain that momentum? um, But with that, of course... Um, I've anecdotally, again, spoken to a lot of founders who are like, this is a good time to exit because, you know, of just the the climate we're in, right? Economically, we don't know where we're going. Um, so with that, uh, what are your thoughts and is it category specific? I mean, I think it's company specific, but I also think that every couple of years, there's a thing that we talk about and I've written about it more times than I can um, you know, count that, you know, the bottom's going to fall out for DTC brands. Mm-hmm. They were able to raise a lot of money and then they need to figure out what's next. And every time something new happens, that changes the conversation a little bit. And so uh, right now, a lot of people are saying the bottom's going to fall out. And that means either they're going to close or they're going to be bought in a fire sale. Um, and we haven't really seen that happen en masse yet. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it very well could happen. But also things change so rapidly that, you know, the last time we've said, you know, this is going to happen and I've had sources say, yeah, companies aren't doing very well. They're going to need to do, you know, they're not going to, they don't have enough runway to last. But then, you know, either the market changed or the, you know, shop shopping patterns changed, et cetera, mm-hmm. such that it made that made it so that they were able to either raise more money or figure something else out so that they were able to, to last. So, I do think that we're in a really interesting moment where the the economy has cooled. Companies have not been able to raise uh, VC rounds at the rate that they were before. Mm -hmm. And that means that M&A and consolidation is very likely on the horizon. But we also haven't seen it yet. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. And the the real uninteresting answer or, you know, you know, boring answer for me is I don't know. <laughs> I've you know we've been wrong before. Sources have said something's going to happen. It hasn't before, so I'm I'm hedging my bets with this one. Yeah, the idea of you know these companies just straight up shutting down is interesting because you're right. It's very far and few in between. I mean, we're making sweeping statements, but we haven't really seen you know a big D to C company just straight up shut down or flow. I mean, even, even something like Casper, which I feel like is getting a lot of <laughs> strays in this conversation, um, is, uh, you know, was able to go public and then go private again. And, you know, there's always somebody that seems to have, you know, catch catch them when they fall, which maybe, I don't know, is that a testament to, to like the longevity or the customer base? 
there will always be some financial vulture out there that will try and scoop up a company at a cheap price. But uh, I, with the exception of, you know, Casper, I'm, I'm not really seeing it happen industry-wide yet. And that doesn't mean it won't. Um, but, it, you know, if th there's a company that is able to, has a good hero product and is able to sell, someone will probably buy it and they will strip it for, you know, to make it worth whatever it, they think it's worth. But, you know, that's not, that that hasn't happened just yet. Yeah. Uh, do you want to name off some uh, interesting exits that we've seen in the last few months. Um, again, like I mentioned earlier, they do seem to be uh, very much in the health and wellness space, CPG uh, specifically, um, not so much in, you know, this consumer facing uh, luggage, for example, or beauty brands. Yeah, I mean, a few that come, I think that there have been a lot in in uh, beauty. So um, Hero Cosmetics was one that recently sold, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I feel like there are a few others, but I'm drawing a blank right now. But I feel like we've seen a lot um, in the health and wellness and beauty space. But those are also pretty hot areas. And so I think companies are trying to build up their portfolios in that. Do, do you have any good examples? Um, yeah, I was thinking um, one that we covered was um, Hilma, which is a supplement brand that um, was sold. And that's that was, I think, one of the things that was interesting is that it was very early on in the company's um Trajectory. I mean, I think they're only about two or three years old. Um, but you know, working under a parent company seems to be a better fit than continuously raising money. And so, I, I do wonder if we'll see more of that um, in that area. Um, so, with that said, I want to wrap up by thanking you, Kale, and thanking the audience for listening. But that's all the time we have this week. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening to this. It really helps us out a lot. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Modern Retail Podcast, which is hosted by Kale, to hear interviews with industry leaders every Thursday. And then, of course, the Modern Retail Rundown every Saturday. Kale, do you want to give us a preview of who you have on next week? Yes, absolutely. Next week, I'm talking with Camino Partners LP or the head of that. Her name is Ellie. Um, she comes from Kind Bars and she talks all about their new fund and how they think about uh, investing in consumer facing brands. It was a really fun conversation. Great. That sounds so exciting. I am looking forward to it. With that, till next time. Mm -hmm.